You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Good morning. And welcome to On the Bench. We tape on this beautiful Sunday morning. I have alongside me, Brendan Sinone and Chris Nee. With our powers combined, we are the ones that make Knowles 247 tick. Um, football is a day closer. And last night, Florida State scrimmaged under the lights again in Doak. It was the team's second scrimmage of the preseason. Chris Nee, uh, we heard from Mike Norvell afterward. He was not pleased. Uh, react. I thought he summed up the entire scrimmage from the viewpoint we got in talking to him, the coordinator, specifically offensive coordinator, Kenny Dillingham, and defensive coordinator, Adam Fuller, very much so in like his third to sixth sentence of his opening statement. I'll read that part. I thought the defense was dominant tonight. We really attacked in all aspects, controlling the line of scrimmage, was able to do a nice job creating negative plays, offensively struggled to really get in any rhythm, had to play here or there, had a play here or there, but then a mistake that would force a long yardage situation. Right now, we can't afford to do that with where we are. We have a lot of work to do. We've got to continue to get better. I think that part, you know, that set the tone for everything we heard in the next half hour when we talked to everybody, and that's that the offense really didn't do squat. They put the, some big plays out there. There were some 20-yard gainers, but – to quote Kenny Dillingham, they'd follow that up with a seven-yard loss on the next first down and suddenly it's second and 17. And, you know, you can't sustain a drive when you're doing that. And they're not built to be that. And truthfully, no team's built to do that consistently and survive. And it's a big old issue. Nobody was super specific why the offense struggled. Kind of said it was, you know, a collection of the entire unit. But through what we've heard, it's pretty safe to say that the offensive line is pretty much as bad as we thought they could be. And right now, it's not a good sign for them. They're not turning a corner or suddenly finding a five that's going to give them a lot of success. I think we knew some of that. You know, I think we all expected some of that, but it's also concerning to hear. You know, this gets us hyped up that the defense is pretty dang good, especially that front seven playing a lot better. You know, the D-line, we're hearing about good edge rush, something that FSU didn't have a great deal of last year. The interior guys are doing what you would expect, and the linebackers – Adam Fuller spoke a good bit about them last night. Sounds like that group with the infusion of young guys is doing much, much better than we've seen them do in recent years and that they're getting good senior leadership with a lot of competition. That's breeding success. And throughout camp, the secondary has been a strength. You know, we've seen a lot of turnovers created by them and that continued last night. Travis Jay had an interception, for example. So all that stuff's, you know, good thing to hear, but I think it brings about plenty of questions about, are we getting the greatest read on a defense if an offense is struggling so mightily at this point in camp? And defense is usually ahead of offense at this point. That's not unusual. And I think truthfully, most coaching staffs would prefer to see a defense performing very well. I do think there is some concern that the offense is not performing better. Yeah, it sounded like Mike Norvell had the pleasure of seeing the offensive line play that we've all been watching for the last two or three years. Yeah. Uh, he was. What, did you get the sense that he was generally ticked off after what? the after the scrimmage, or how would you how would you um, rate his demeanor compared to the other practices where we see him come off the field and speak to us? I think Norvell. It's fair to call him offensive minded. That's not to say he ignores the defense or doesn't believe that's a huge component. But he is an offensive guy. He wants to call plays, put guys in position to make big plays and make those big plays. And he wants to do it one after another and have that next play mentality, which is something Kenny Dillingham brought up and said last night, they did not have that at all. Mm-hmm. And that's who he is. So I think anytime that that portion of the game doesn't go well, he's going to be unhappy on the flip side. He was very complimentary of his defense and very pleased with what they're doing, what they're putting on tape. Um, so I think as a head coach, he views it that way. But I think at the end of the day, he wants to see the offense. That, that's his baby. Yeah. That's what he's trying to build. And I think his frustration was there. But I think he also was very straightforward and diagnosed things. I thought he kind of you know explained that things aren't going great on that side of the ball. And the only thing they can do about it is get out there and work more. 
And, you know, Kenny Dillingham was asked about, does he expect him to respond? And he kind of spoke about the situation earlier in the week where they had a pretty lackluster, low energy practice. And the next day they came out and had a really good practice and that he believes this team in the offense specifically are capable of doing that going into next week. But was he frustrated and angry yeah, to a degree? But I think that's just kind of a desire for the process to be further ahead on the offensive side of ball and for the results to be better than what he saw. I, I thought Kenny Dillingham's demeanor was maybe more telling of any yes. of the coaches because Kenny's usually so upbeat and he's like a little hummingbird, right? He's just got mm-hmm. all this energy and excited. It, it seems generally very positive. Not that he was particularly negative last night, but he definitely was more short than usual and and seemed irritated is, is how I would describe it. Yep. Yeah, On he, that he note, was, Br- he was terse. I think Terrence yeah. is the best way of describing Kenny Dillingham last evening. He Kenny's a guy who can fill up the recorder with a lot of words, and they actually mean something. Last night, he got straight to the damn point. He was asked about, essentially, like, did this position stand out? Can you give us a position that stood out? And he's like, I don't look at it that way. I look at it as a unit, and the unit didn't stand out. Mm-hmm. He was asked – somebody straight up asked him, essentially, like, were you happy with anything? Because, like, your demeanor tonight is very different than anything we've encountered since your hire in the spring and even in the preseason. He's like – we just got to be better. Like he, he was just so direct about things, about his unhappiness, about about the only thing I think he said any kind of positive is that he thinks the quarterback room in general, based off the performance of last night, what they were asking them to do is sort of where they want it to be, and they're pleased with that. It didn't sound like they had a ton of turnovers. Obviously, you know, we know they had the uh, the interception by Travis Shea. It sounds like that was maybe partly on a receiver not handling a ball in some form or fashion based on the way it was described. Uh, Cyrus Fagan blocked a field goal, I believe it was, and then the defense had a fourth down stop to win the game type of situation, which they've done twice this week. But it wasn't, you know, picks being thrown all over the field or balls being put on the ground in the sense of fumbling it. We did hear a lot of drop balls. It sounded like there was a hell of a lot of self-inflicted wounds by an offense that already is kind of behind the eight ball because of some of its lackluster talent at certain positions. So you can't you know, do it to yourself when you also are short on talent. Yeah. Brendan, um, speaking about Dillingham, let's, uh, I know you've been working the, your sources. Give us some intel on the QBs in the second scrimmage. Like Chris just kind of alluded to, Josh, the quarterbacks probably weren't the biggest problem on Saturday. I, I don't. I think part of the context here is the quarterbacks need to be part of the solution as well. And you want to see James Blackman and Tate Rotomaker, who are the two primary quarterbacks, from my understanding, who practiced yesterday. They need to elevate the play of the room. But really, from my understanding, it's hard to get a gauge of of what they did yesterday because the offensive line was so bad as a collective unit. It was probably the worst practice that they've had since Norvell has has been here at some point that's like a silver lining right because we haven't seen 2018 fsu offensive line this preseason uh, yesterday was a, a a bit of a regression from that standpoint it was yeah. having watched every zoom press conference just from my perspective um the tones were definitely off different than any other practice and I think that's a good thing. I mean, having followed Jimbo very closely and seen, you know, his demeanor would change, you know, and they'd have a great practice and then he'd come out and have a shit practice. And yeah, he'd let he, everybody know. Jimbo, Jimbo was a king of pissed off for greatness with a couple mm-hmm. practices every preseason. Last night had that feel to a degree. And it, I, th- yeah, I, think it had that feel. I don't know if it's the same thing though, Chris. Right. right. No, I agree. I think the pissed off for greatness was, I know these guys can be better because I got a lot of talent I've accumulated on this mm-hmm. roster. I think right now is more we got to be better because we simply need to be better. And yeah, we have some, you know, chicken salad issues on this roster, but there's things we did to ourselves tonight that we can avoid doing. Essentially, I uh, forget exactly how Kenny put it, but essentially we're going to go back on film and look at what we did ourselves, look at what mistakes we made that we can correct that nobody else caused. We made them happen. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of the where it, where it stood last night. I, I think they're realistic about the ceiling of what they can be. I think the issue with last night is they were nowhere near even that ceiling. It's not a matter of exceeding that and being better than you expect to be. It's a matter of you got to be about as good as you can be, and they weren't close to that offensively. Brendan, before we move on, what's your take on the backup quarterback position right now? Right now, I'm pretty confident that Tate Rotomaker is QB2, and we've been pretty confident that James Blackman is QB1. 
right now there's not a whole lot of other options from my understanding. I mean, Shubba Purdy is out for the foreseeable future with the shoulder injury. We've documented that. In the short term. In the short term. For foreseeable future mm-hmm. means about six weeks or so, I think, is the mm-hmm. is what Shubba's mom put on, on Instagram. And that kind of falls in line with the timeline that Mike Norville had with a few weeks. It was the non-throwing showing shoulder that he hurt, which is good news. Mm-hmm. Um, with Jordan Travis, you know, he's someone who Mike Norvell mentions fairly consistently. We didn't hear a whole lot about him yesterday. I'm not entirely, I'll be honest, I'm not entirely sure what his status was in the scrimmage. Yes. I, I mean, we haven't heard a whole lot about him, period. I this, was going to say one thing that I, that I am confident in saying at this point is that we don't believe Jordan Travis scrimmaged last week. And my understanding is his rips have been fairly limited. I'm not entirely sure, admittedly, like what, what's going on there. Uh, but but I think right now you look at Jordan Travis as probably more of a situational sub-package guy, whereas Tate Rotomaker's taking a big chunk of the reps to be the, the primary backup to James Blackman yeah. in case did, anything didn't happens. did Norvell kind of tip his hand in that as well, Brennan, yeah. last night when he it, said that Tate Rotomaker took more snaps at and he said with it with Chubba, I mean, he, he said kinda, that with with Chubba Purdy being out, Josh mm-hmm. too. But but yeah, he didn't. But he really didn't mention any other quarterbacks taking snap more snaps besides Tate Rodemaker. Correct, and he mentioned that Jordan Travis. He mentioned something about Jordan Travis, but I don't think it was in context with the scrimmage last night. I'm fairly right. confident, as as confident as I can be, without seeing it for myself. James Blackman and Tate Rodemaker were the two primary quarterbacks throwing the ball around yesterday. Okay. Any other notable absences from the scrimmage yesterday? We're fairly confident just based on an Instagram post at that time that DJ Matthews, who... What about that Instagram post makes you confident that... Because he was driving around in a car at six o'clock when the rest of the team was practicing and it was a lie. I'm just, you know, there's people listening that maybe don't tune in to DJ Matthews Instagram live and would want some context on why you know how uncomfortable are you if you're the first guy in that actually happened well because I normally I don't care but since there's someone's you know status is in question where they are is kind of important so the other day I saw it pop up and I'm like oh let me see where DJ is and I realized I was the only person watching him it was really uncomfortable I got out right away it's like you and DJ anyway all right let's move on um Chris we got to hear from Adam Fuller uh, after both Dillingham and Norvell both use the word dominant for the defense. So then Adam Fuller comes trotting out like the kind of the man of the hour. Um, he had a lot to say, very informative. What did you think of Adam Fuller after the scrimmage? I'm always impressed by Adam Fuller. Uh, I enjoy listening to him. I don't feel like it's BS coming out of his mouth. I love when he talks concepts. Like last night he talked about the nickels. Big I nickel. learned some stuff. Big nickel versus more corner-based nickel, you know, how you're matching up, what the idea is with putting essentially a big body versus a more athletic body out there. So I enjoy that stuff a lot. Pertaining specifically to the scrimmage, um, I I think he was pleased um, as much as a coach can be pleased when he's trying to get the most out of a group. He's not one quick to put a lot of hot air in a balloon. Uh, you know, he he swore up and down. He didn't laugh after scrimmage one when he was asked if they were dominant and that, they, you know, he didn't want to say that word. He was kind of asked that again last night. He he doesn't want to call him dominant, but he is willing to praise guys who are doing well. Fabian Lovett is certainly one we heard him go well in depth on. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, he likes the linebacker group, feels like they're doing better. I think he really feels like the young guys have done a great job of raising that floor and pushing guys and that. They're getting good leadership from guys like Leonard Warner and Emmett Rice at that position. I think I think leadership at positions is a big deal to this staff. And I think on defense, they feel like they've got that at a lot of spots. You know, I think defensive end, it's fair to say Kando and Robinson is bringing that, especially Kando. It sounds like Kando's had a very good scrimmage and a spectacular preseason. At defensive tackle, we know you got that. And a guy like Marv at linebacker, you're starting to find that with guys. And at defensive back, I don't know about specifically individuals being leaders, but I think there's so much competition back there. And they've kind of put guys in the right spots to create even better competition that it's working in its own way. So I feel like defense has that across the board. I find it tougher to come by on offense. We've heard Jay Sean Corbin in the running back room. has been real good. You know, I think Jay Black is still Jay Black when it comes to quarterback room. He's going to be a great teammate. Tight ends, you know, I think Jordan Wilson, truthfully, was that. And obviously, he's down and out, but mm-hmm. he can still provide it to a degree. At wide receiver, I don't know that Terry's that guy, and that's not a knock on him. I just don't know if that's who he is and his demeanor, and we haven't heard him talked about him that way. And we've obviously not heard of any other guy really truly brought up in that way. So I, I think that's one way of looking at the offense versus defense progress is that 
you're able to put certain names on the board on defense while offense, you seem to still be searching for it. So um, to get back to specifically what Fuller was talking about, I mean, I, I think he would have liked more takeaways, but he was happy with Travis getting his one, Cyrus doing his deal. Um, in general, I think assignment football was better on defense. John Papuchas was asked specifically about the defensive end group when he was talking special teams, and he said that very thing. We were much more assignment sound and creating an effect on the quarterback mm-hmm. as end. Mm-hmm. So I think that was kind of the story with the defense. They just played a better game, and the results were there because they created a lot of negative plays. They put a mediocre to bad offense in bad situations, and then they played up to their level of potential, and that put them in a great spot. Brandon, you know what else is dominant? What's that, Joshua? The mighty force that is Dan Garland of Evershore Financial. Daniel Garland of Evershore Financial. I've heard of him. I'm sure you have, Brandon. He's a diehard knoll, an FSU graduate, and someone whose expertise in finances can help you get some peace of mind during these uncertain times. Brandon, why don't you tell the listeners more? Right now, we're experiencing some of the most difficult economic circumstances of all time. In times like these, it's important to have a financial plan for your finances. Dan Garland and Greg Abdallah are financial professionals and diehard Seminoles. As professionals with specialties in current financial position analysis, investments, retirement planning, risk management, and life insurance, you can get a comprehensive financial plan to help guide you to your long-term goals. Dan and Greg are FINRA-registered financial professionals with Evershore Financial Group. With four offices in Florida and clients all over the country, you know you can get individualized help from someone who cares. Call Dan today at 321-304-4026 for a no-obligation consultation. One more time, that's 321-304-4026. Separate from the financial plan and our role as financial planner, we may recommend the purchase of specific investment or insurance products or accounts. These product recommendations are not part of the financial plan and you are under no obligation to follow them. Dan Garland and Greg Abdallah are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securing Financial Services, Inc. Securities and investment advisory services offered through Securing Financial Services, Inc., member of FINRA, SIPC. Evershore Financial Group is independently owned and operated, 750 North Maitland Avenue, Maitland, Florida, 32751. And we are back. Thank you, Brendan. Um, I'm going to throw it right back to you, Brendan. Who was some individuals that you heard stood out on the defense? So one thing that became apparent to me after talking to several sources, the defense really relied on its depth on Saturday. They didn't necessarily trot out a guy like Marvin Wilson or Joshua Kando, guys who I think they know what they have at this point through what they've seen in camp. They didn't put them in for a whole lot of extensive reps. I'm not sure exactly how much they played or didn't play. What I do understand is that they played a bunch of the second team kind of guys a a ton on Saturday. One name that we've heard good things about for two weeks in a row now is defensive tackle Fabian Lovett. I actually asked Adam Fuller about Fabian, the, uh, the Mississippi State defensive tackle transfer, about what he brings from a depth perspective. And, and coach Fuller was really, really quick to, to correct me and say, it's not depth that he's bringing. He's going to be an impact player for us from everything we understand. Like, yeah, he's, he's flying up that he solidified himself on the two deep. He's going to be an impact player this season. I think what's cool about him is he's someone who can play multiple positions, nose tackle, three tech, you can kind of move him across the defensive line a little bit. And that just adds to what we have kind of believed already is that FSU has this tremendously deep and, and talented and versatile defensive line, especially with the interior defenders. Stephen Dix Jr. is a name who who came up from talking to the coaches yesterday in the press conference, and that kind of jibes with what we've heard from him all preseason campus, that he's someone who's really, really smart. He made some pre-play checks to get the defense in the right right formation during some tempo stuff, and, and someone who just plays well like beyond his years from a maturity standpoint. It seems like it was really just this collective dominance from the defense. It wasn't just Marvin Wilson or Joshua Kando doing their thing. Doing their thing. It was legitimate two or three deep of the defense really dominating the offense. Uh, maybe that's something mm-hmm. we can talk about next, Josh. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Like if the two deep, if a primary reserves are, are go ahead and, and beating up on the offense in a scrimmage, the first team offense, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I was thinking about last night after we listened to coaches, depth is something we always talk about so much. We talk about it from the perspective of the immediate team. We talk about it in the perspective of recruiting for the future to improve the team. 
I feel like defensive depth is pretty good. And a lot of that has to do with the transfer market. I think they nailed that and that's helped them a great deal. It's also has to do with those two freshman linebackers. Just to make that point, defensive tackle, Wilson Durden, those are your starters. Coop and Lovett, we know those guys are really good. So that's four that you know you really have. We know that Odell loves True Thompson. True Thompson's going to have value. Then it comes down to Malcolm Ray. So you're talking five to six. Feel really good. Maybe I forget one or two at T-tackle, but those are five or six that we know they like. Defensive end, it finally sounds like Joshua Kando is the dude we always hoped he would be. Hopefully, that hearing is, that he's having an awesome camp, like I know right. we've heard that consistently, but like it just keeps happening at this yeah. point. Hopefully, that's true when he plays better offensive lines. Yeah. That that's the one thing that will come to a point. That and hopefully, he just stays later. healthy. Yes. Yeah. Jay Rob's been good. Um, I wouldn't say we've put him in the same category as Kando, but we've also not heard like man, he just isn't coming along. Then they're getting a good push from McClendon, who got a little taste of it last year. He was like shark in the water with the blood, as he told me earlier this week, which I love that kid. Great quote. He's sharp for his age. Quayshawn Fuller in shape, playing well. And then we hear good things about Josh Griffiths. You know, he's physically ready to do it. And then Tay Williams, Deontay Williams, Baylor transfer. He's been good in both scrimmages from what we've heard. So that's, again, six guys out of position. You know, some of those are young. You don't want to throw them in the fire. But those first two can carry the load. You're in a pretty good spot. Linebacker, we've talked a lot about that. It comes down to Gainer, Rice, Warner's kind of your front three. And then Deloach and McCray have come along pretty well. And then the two freshmen, Lundy and Dick. So you're talking about seven right there. So you're feeling pretty good. They're also trying to make some of those parts interchangeable where they can play all three spots. You know, if you got seven guys for those three spots, you're in a pretty good spot as long as you can keep a little health. And then the secondary, we know there's a ton of talent back there. We've talked about many times about how we feel like that's a position at FSU in recent years that – the town on paper has disappointed what production on the field. Well, I'm going to take the optimistic view. And because of the addition of a guy like Miko Dodson and the guy like Jerry and Jones, it's raised the floor and they've also put guys in the right spot. You know, I feel like Travis Jay is playing his best ball ever here because where he's at, you know, we got some guys at corner who were at safety last year, like an Akeem Dent. So, you know, you, you look up and down that you got, you know, the Asante Samuel juniors who are kind of a lock to be a starter. Nas, as long as he's healthy, would be as long as he's healthy. Those are some of the guys you already know about. So there's a lot of depth there. So I feel like defensively the depth is as sound as it's been in a long, long time. And that is certainly a very good thing. And that that's something we've learned through two weeks of camp. I think the emergence of a guy like Griffiths, who we kind of expect to be there, but he's been there. The other two younger DNs with him and then the two freshman linebackers, as well as getting that defensive secondary parts in the right place. I think that's been a positive storyline through two weeks of camp. To add to a couple of Chris's points, just to go and bring Mm -hmm. a little bit more depth on one point, Josh Griffiths, he was someone in the preseason, like before camp started, when I was talking to someone internally about the defensive line and specifically edge rushers, like where are you going to get pressure from if it's not Kando? Fortunately, it has been Kando. But but Griffiths was someone that was brought up to me. Like, I don't think he plays – a ton this season, but I think he plays and I think he finds a role for himself. We just consistently keep hearing good things about him, whether it's in the weight room with Derek McClendon saying, what was it, Chris, 500 pounds that he benched past? Yeah, he knew he was legit when he threw 500 up. (laughs) That's that's impressive. That's what all my friends tell me too. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But but he seems for real, like he's someone who belongs at this level. We'll see to what extent, but I think you at least have a capable edge rusher uh, who again may not be a huge role this year, but we'll have something. And then that's important to me because the depth has been so bad at defensive end the past couple of years at linebacker. Yeah. Chris mentioned the, the freshman. We keep hearing about Lundy and Steven Dix jr. Like the, those guys. And even Kevon Glenn is a name that's starting to emerge a little bit more too. So yeah, he was to mentioned what, yesterday. Yeah. And that's been, and I think he had a good first scrimmage as well. So that's what eight guys now at, at, at linebacker. And yeah. And, and did, I, I don't know if you mentioned, but, the Taylor Brooks. Brooks. Yeah, he's back, and he had Return. he didn't he didn't practice. Josh, you just you just triggered people with this podcast. Good job, good job. I did. He was, I mean, he was noted by name by Adam Fuller as yeah. you know he was really happy that he had him back. It sounded like he's missed some time. Um, he adds and, to the star position and the depth there, which I think is important because I think at this point we've seen that to Kalen Brooks, you don't want him starting at least based on what we've seen, but. Uh, what or sorry, I said star. That was the last defense. Uh, the stud position, kind of similar. He kind of gives you some depth there to where now all of a sudden you have Cannon Deloach, who they apparently feel really good about and what he's doing, and potentially like a like a first teamer who's pushing Amari Gainer in that regard. 
that allows you to move Amari Gaynor around a little bit. Maybe put him as more of a blitzer, edge rusher role as you get more creative with some of the sub packages you're putting together. So again, we're talking about this depth uh, emerging on defense. Uh, the final thing that I want to say about the defense and the secondary, just to give note, Akeem Dentman, he's apparently coming on the last week or so, just from the mission takeaway stuff we're seeing with Adam Fuller. He's had a turnover, I think three, caused three turnovers and like as many practices. So it seems like he's someone who's starting to kind of put it together after coming off that lower leg injury that cost him in the spring. Uh, that's just another depth piece there. What I want to ask you guys, as we talk about the depth on defense and how exciting that is, but put it in the perspective of it's a scrimmage, someone wins, someone loses. For the first team offense, primarily to struggle like this against a lot of the a lot of the second team, presumably second team pieces on defense. Are we feeling optimistic, pessimistic? I know how I feel, but I, I want to get both of your thoughts on, on how we're feeling after what we've gathered from the scrimmage so far. I'll let Josh take this first. <laughs> My feelings are that um, we were generally optimistic coming off of the first scrimmage, and I think we've returned more to the middle now. Um, I think we are getting more of a realistic view of this team. The offensive line is still a major issue. Um, we knew they, you know, and, and I'm not blaming this on anybody, but they just didn't do enough to shore up that offensive line. And I think that we are realizing that the O-line is still such an issue that this offense can't run properly, something that we've seen for the last two or three years. So we're going to see more of that. It's still the preseason. Mike Norvell has more time. Alex Atkins still has more time. Um, I don't think... I don't think things are as dark and, and, and as bad as they seem up front. I think they'll get them fixed. But I do think that coming off the second scrimmage, we have a more realistic idea of where this team's at. Yeah, I think realistic is a very good word. I think we knew the offense was going to have issues. The O-line, they're looking for five. That can be really good. They'd love to have eight. They ain't getting to eight this year. You know, if they can find five and be capable of sustaining drives, then that's what they have to be. You know, the receivers have to do a better job with securing the ball. That includes tight ends when it's on their way and also backs. Anybody that's getting a pass thrown to them, they got to catch it. FSU's offense is going to be a matter of capitalize on what you can do, not putting yourself in bad situations. And yesterday was a bad situations kind of day. You know, the quarterback room, I think Purdy is a guy who's a key to all that because he's capable of creating the best when things go bad which is what this offense needs because things are going to go bad. And I fully expect that. I think my, I would say concern, I don't know that's the right word, but my biggest hesitation to go all in on men, I think the defense is much, much better is are they being exaggerated, inflated by facing a mediocre to bad offense, um, especially up front? Well, if you wreak havoc up front, it changes everything behind it. I mean, the reason secondary at FSU, part of the reason secondary at FSU has been feasted on in recent years is they couldn't ever freaking get home on the quarterback. And, well, no DB on earth is created to protect for five to seven seconds in an effective manner on extended routes. It's just the way football is played. If you can get home, if those ends can do what they do and those tackles can live up to who and what they should be, that changes everything behind them. And then it also comes down to making tackles, not allowing a good play to become a huge play or not allowing a long completion to become points. It, th those are the steps for defense. We've seen a lot of that. Uh, first scrimmage to second scrimmage, it sounds like they did a much better job getting a ball on the ground when things did break down in the very front for them defensively. That's a huge positive. That That's something that translates no matter the opponent or the talent you're facing is doing the fundamental things the right way. My concern is we're hearing, you know, Kando's great, for example, and that's excellent. I'm happy for the kid, and I do think he's an immensely talented young man. But I also worry, is he just kicking ass and taking names because of the guys he's lining up across from? Well, that's Chris, can, there's a few things that you said there that reminded me of conversations we've had in the past. As it applies to Kando, we, heard, we had the same conversations about Marvin Wilson last year when we heard he was tearing it up in camp and taking his game to the next level. Was it a matter of playing against that offensive line or is it a matter of him truly elevating to become an elite player? The year before, same thing with Brian Burns. Heard he was unblockable at times. Usually the answer is somewhere in between, right? It's not just a feasting on – that's what good players do. They feast on weaker ones. That, that's yes. how football goes. I, I did. It did occur to me when you were talking about uh, the defense being ahead of the offense at this point and, and how to kind of 
judge that. Do you remember what we were talking about with after Willie Taggart's first two scrimmages in 2018? No, I've tried to forget everything about that. <laughs> <Sure error. laughs> That's why alcohol helps. The offense had success running inside consistently against the defense those first two practices. Now, there were still warts on the offense, and boy, did we see those, especially in 2018. But I remember that being something that you specifically took away from, from your intel and sourcing was that FSU's offense was able to go right at the teeth of the defense those first couple of practices. Right then and there, we didn't look at it at the time as a huge warning that should have been red flags all over the place. Yeah, I think we're all on the same page. You want your defense to be better at this stage in the offense. I think the key is for the offense to get better at the things they can be good at. And, and that's what and they weren't that yesterday. And to be fair, one thing, and this is where the context we're trying to understand, like this is a whole new working progress or work in progress with this staff because they haven't had a spring yet. Kenny Dillingham talked about this after the scrimmage. They put a ton on the plate of the offense these first couple of weeks in camps just to basically see what do we do well, what don't we do well. Now it's about dialing back and starting to kind of, I think, create. I know they said this week's going to be more of a camp week. I think you're going to start at least seeing some implementation of game plan type of things where you're you're trying to focus on, okay, what does James Blackman do well? What does what does Jordan Travis do well for us in a sub package? What does, well, not Chubba Purdy, what does Tate Rodemaker do well that James does well that we can kind of keep them in the same game plan if James gets hurt? I think that's what you start seeing a dialing back now at this point. This is an incomplete science, like an exact science, and it's an incomplete part of practice, part of the preseason. We don't know exactly what FSU is yet on offense. The offensive line, work in progress for sure. This was the first really horrendous day that they've apparently had, like where it was just bad all around for the most part. So all with a grain of salt, right? Like I think that's that's part of this. I don't feel particularly worse about things today than I did going into the scrimmage on, on Saturday. Uh, but yeah, it, it remains to be seen, I guess, what this offense can be. Yeah, Dillingham's comment that you brought up was actually, I thought, one of his more poignant, in-depth ones. He talked about, you know, that they are a system built for players and they're going to adapt around their players, that it always comes down to players. But he said, we are trying to figure out what we are good at, one. We are also trying to run enough variety of things to find out what we are good at. Because you can't find out what you're good at if you run what you're good at over and over again, because then you don't know if you're good at anything else. So I think it is kind of the combination of both after these two scrimmages, trying to figure out what we're good at by running a multitude of things and now narrowing that down. Now that we know what we're good at and kind of narrowing that focus going into the next few weeks and really getting our guys all on the same page with what we know we can now be successful at. So I think it's fair to say that yesterday there were things they, they asked them to do that they now understand from asking them and putting on a film they're not built to do. I think there's also things they didn't do yesterday that they believe they can do. And that's what the next week of camp probably is very much going to be centrally focused on as an offense. So, yeah, I think that's a very poignant moment from the offensive coordinator. I, I do also want to mention not to go, you know, big game Bob on us, but special team sounds like a positive and we know they invest time in it and we know they want it to be good. And Papuchas talked a good bit about last night, quick summary, Place kicking, kicking competition is still very much a two-man competition. It does sound like Mastermano's pulled ahead at punter. You know, he did praise how Tommy Martin did in the last week. But Mastermano's been really good as he's learning the intricacies of American football. Uh, they haven't gone super live in punt returns, so it's kind of tough to judge at this point. I did find it interesting. They were talking about punt returns, and they actually called a punt pressure unit. He was asked, basically, are you trying to return it or are you trying to get after the kick? And he's like, hell, we're trying to do both. We want to be aggressive. And he's talking about how you pressure to kick, how you create situations with gunners on the outside, and how you try to create the return through the scheme, through the player receiving it, and through the guys in front of them doing their fundamentals and blocking the proper way. And I I just – you can tell that special – every coach talks about how special teams is important. Mike Norvell's lived that life, and they've been very good at it as a program under his guidance at other stops. So I do think that's positive, and that's a place where FSU could take a big jump. And here's the thing. If your offense is going to have freaking issues with sustaining drives, if you're starting at the 40 compared to the 20 or you know, or the 35 instead of 15, that, that makes it a heck of a lot of difference. That's two less first downs you're trying to climb the ladder with. So you're not that far from putting three on the board, and you're in a better chance of putting seven on the board. All right. Very good. That wraps up our talk. For the scrimmage, but after the break, I want to talk about the 85-man limit and some recruiting updates. We'll be right back.
This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. So uh, I forget exactly what day it was this week, but Mike Norvell was asked if they were at the 85-man limit. I, I believe uh, our healthy confidant, Brendan Sinone, would say that they are not. I think they're maybe one or two short currently on numbers. He can fill us in on that when we come back. But this is something Josh has had to deal with for a while. And it's one of those things where you're trying to explain sort of odd and dumb NCAA rules where it's not just as simple as counting to the number 85. So they were trying to explain how you can potentially bring in a player and talking about waivers, talking I think about moving Chris, numbers around. So go ahead. I think, I, well, hold on. I think I've, I've done a real bad job of trying to explain this over the last like eight weeks on the podcast. <laughs> and it was refreshing to see Mike Norvell get up there and, and do just as bad of a job yeah. as I did. And that's not a knock on him. <laughs> that's not a knock on him. It's, it's no. a, it's essentially a dumb idea. It's a really hard uh, concept to grasp, but once you get it, I guess it kind of makes sense. So Mike Norvell admitted that they're under the 85, but he also admitted that they're up against the 25 that they signed in the incoming 2020 class. So because they hit the limit there, they do not have, the way I see it is they don't have any room to take more due to rolling it back so even though they're under they do not have room now the swing man in this is manny rogers right yeah the the manny manny rogers and they and i was told back in june that they applied for a waiver for manny manny rogers and even back in june i was told like well we're not going to find out till september and it was kind of like this vibe like um We'll know in September, it'll be too late by then, but hey, we might have another scholarship in September. I don't know what that means. Well, now, here, fast forward to August, things are weird. The season got delayed. So now September makes a little, a little bit of a difference. Like in any normal year, you would never add a key piece to the team two or three weeks before the season starts. But these are, this is not, you know, 2020 football season is not your average year. So who knows? I mean, they might technically have a waiver come through in the next couple of weeks and have room to add one more player. If the Pac-10 isn't going, if the Big Ten isn't going, um, who knows? Who knows? But there is a chance that you could see a key piece added to this team prior to the start of the season. Is that what you interpreted, Brendan? I've got yeah, that's exactly how I interpreted it. I've got a scenario for you guys with this in mind. Let's say waiver goes through in the next couple of weeks here. Plug and play, baby. Well, let's say that you, and you get one scholarship. Because okay? I don't think mm-hmm. we don't know. Right now, we're assuming it's one. We're assuming it's it's the Manny Rogers counter. But who knows what else they could be applying for at this point? Let's just say it's one. Do you? And they had the similar choice a few months ago where they added Jordan Wilson. Yeah, I was going to say, Brendan, they've already we, answered the question. But Josh, the scenario has changed a little bit because you've gone through preseason camp now uh, and you get a better idea of your roster. If they have a similar situation where you can say, we'll take a Jordan Wilson, a proven tight end, uh, maybe there's a cap on his his upside, but he helps us at this position. Or do we take an offensive tackle who could who can start and allow us to move Devontae Love-Taylor inside and help our depth with that? They talked about wanting to get eight guys capable. Chris said he thinks that's a bit of a stretch right now. You're just trying to find five. So so now that you have a little bit better idea of this offense and the makings of it and what you have, if you have a tight end or offensive tackle in the portal to help bolster depth at either position, where do you apply that scholarship now? We saw what they did a few months ago is that tight end. Do we think that's the same? Well, I, I know. 
I know what Chris is going to say. He's going to say oh, yeah. offensive line. Yes. I'm going to I'm going to apply precedent. I'm going to apply precedent. And we saw even after three days of spring practice, the the, the FSU staff had a, a grip on what this offensive line is. Even after that, we saw them prioritize Jordan Wilson over others. So I'm going to say based on precedent that with the, if FSU has an available scholarship in September, they're going to, they're going to go after a tight end. I think Jordan Wilson had value one. He's like a six lineman. So he's going to help in that regard. He also brings a much better ceiling to the tight end room, which is a very important room to them that I think in general, they thought was relatively crappy when they took over. Now, you know, they moved the quarterback there. He's transitioning. He's putting in his effort. They got a walk on. They like their well, Cam the- McDonald is the one guy in that room. I think they thought highly of when they walked in the door. Good. Chris, the top the top three tight ends they talk about, Cam McDonald seems like clear one at this point because what he yeah. does is a receiver, but the next two they usually bring up are both non-scholarship tight ends, which is right. telling about the room right now where the depth yeah. is. So so I get why they went with Jordan Wilson. I think that's also attainable, attainability. You know, he was a guy they could get, and he was a guy that would help them, and there were offensive linemen they liked, but they couldn't get him. There were a lot of offensive linemen they kicked the tires on who simply went to programs that are in better standing than FSU is at that point when they committed the dynamics have changed with the whole Pac-12 Big Ten and other conferences deciding against playing fall football and basically it being an open market where everybody's going to be granted, you know, quick rights from the way it seems based on what's happened in the last week or so. I think you advertise, uh, you know, someone in Wisconsin, say, about a great winter home in Florida as long as they can play on the edge offensively and block. And that's what you hope for. If you're, if you're going for one piece, I think you got to go for an offensive tackle. I think, I think you can take that. You can move a Devonte love Taylor into his more naturally body built position of guard that strengthens you a bit there. So you would have a new tackle love Taylor uh, center, whoever's winning that comp Pope. And then uh on the other side, you'd have probably Darius Washington. So I think that's kind of – or you can move Darius Washington inside. You know, but I think tackle is where you go. I think tackle is need number one for Florida State football. I also think from a 2021 class standpoint, if you can get a guy with multiple years of eligibility, it's a huge alleviation on that class, kind of like love it has been for defensive tackle. So, boom, I'm right. I tend to go with Chris on this one. I think the I think the real takeaway it's not me agreeing with you isn't anything to celebrate, Chris. I think the real takeaway though is they need to find two scholarships. <laughs> I think that's the takeaway. Okay, uh, the recruiting rundown. There was a few developments, nothing like earth shattering, but some tidbits to throw out there as we wrap up the podcast. First, uh, Josh, you have been DMing apparently with everyone's favorite defensive end who doesn't have an offer yet. Yeah, I just figured I'd check in with Deontay Anderson um, before the season began. A lot of interest there still from FSU. He says he speaks with Coach Fuller once a week. Um, I asked him about, you know, a pending offer offer or what he's being told FSU is waiting on. And he said they just want to see more film. Um, so he's he's cool with that. Uh, said he hopes the season starts and, you know, They'll, they'll continue to evaluate him. So that's the latest on Deontay Anderson. Here's a little okay. scoop on Deontay Anderson. You ready for this, guys? Mike Norvell followed him recently on Twitter. Just saying. Yeah, which is which is why I reached out. I, you know, I, I didn't know if maybe they had offered. You know, I didn't know if if he, he – but he said he just talks to Coach Fuller at this point, mm-hmm. and, and it's about a once-a-week thing right now. So Another tidbit. Let's see. Christopher, FSU is in the top five for Chambre Jackson. Uh, that's maybe not a huge surprise at this point, yeah. but still it's good company. If you look at the rest of the schools that are in the top five, it's good company for FSU to be keeping. Yeah. Alabama, Auburn, LSU, Texas A&M. He's been to all of those, but A&M. Um, he's going to make this decision before he'll be able to get to A&M. So I wouldn't really worry too much about them. I think this is an FSU-Alabama battle. And talking to some people familiar with Alabama, specifically Hank South, I I think they like him. They like him as a big-body DN, but they've got a lot of guys on the board. They've got a Shamar Turner out of Texas, a kid that decommitted from Ohio State, uh, Tumis Adelaide. I might be mispronouncing that. It wouldn't be unusual for me to do so. But those are guys they also really like. So I, I think Jackson's a guy they like. They don't love him. FSU certainly loves him. 
He's an FSU fan. He said that on the record. He talks to FSU's entire staff. They're ultra aggressive with him. I think it would be a disappointment at this point for FSU not to land him. If I had to pick a third team in this right now, I'd probably go Auburn over LSU. I think it's kind of similar to the Alabama factor where LSU likes him, but I don't know that they love him. Auburn's been pretty hot and heavy with him after FSU and Alabama. Um, so he named that, you know, he didn't want to set a date on when he would commit. If I had to predict, I'd say by the end of September, he's off the board. Oh, just coming up pretty soon, guys. Like football is going to be back in a few weeks as long as things keep uh, keep progressing. Don't you go <laughs> jinxing it. It's me knocking on wood. Uh, let's see. Kobe Gross. Jesus, Brendan. <laughs> Kobe Gross that that coffee hasn't taken hold. It yet. has not settled in yet. I'm going with the half-calf. Real quick, like Chris Nee having the most energy out of all three of us at 8 o'clock in the morning is an extreme upset. But let's talk about Kobe Gross. He took a visit to Florida State this week. Um, I reached out to him, exchanged some messages. Kobe Gross, who attends JUCO in California, um, is currently living in Tampa, Florida, because as we know, junior college is ca- is canceled. So he's still doing virtual classes academically, but he is living with his grandfather in Tampa, Florida, and told me that I think it was on Tuesday he went up to campus, um, obviously you guys know the rules right now. There's no contact with the FSU staff face-to-face while he's on an unofficial visit. So he just went up there to, to kind of view campus, uh, get a feel for the city, told me that he's going to make several trips now that he's living in Tampa over the next several months. And um, it's just kind of going to be part of his life now. He's, he's looking for a QB and, and a trainer in the Tampa Bay area while he finishes online classes. And he's expected to graduate um, in December and be on campus in the spring. Uh, you sure about that? He told me that he was still summer enrollment next year. Okay. I'll double check on that, but yeah, he, uh, I talked to him a bit after the visit. He said, I'm fully committed. Tallahassee is home. He also added that I will be up here again soon when other commits, not sure yet when we just mentioned it last night, last night would have been the day before his visit. So August 19th is when they had that conversation. I know like Oklahoma, they had what was called the Sooner Summit here this past mm-hmm. weekend where a lot of commitments were on campus and a few uncommitted top targets came in. They kind of hosted them, the recruits hosted How's them. that possible? Well, it's the recruits doing it. It's all recruits uh, engineered. And the stadium have to be, happened to be unlocked so you get out on the field, it sounded like. so. How convenient. Yeah. Well, yeah. People need to You're allowed loopholes. to do – Now, you are allowed to help plan some things. Um I was told by a coach that the NCAA allows, like, if you're talking to the kid, say, like, a day or two prior, you can say, hey, you know, Madison Social is a great place to have lunch on a, on a Tuesday afternoon before you head to, you know, and you can kind of you can you can kind of help them get an idea of some of the things they should do. And you can't go as far as setting things up for them, though. Yeah, I uh, actually, when I talked to Kobe as he was leaving, I, you know, I told him safe travels home. And, you know, if you want to get lunch before you leave town, I would suggest Gordo's. It's right there near campus. <laughs> so <laughs> I was just trying to do my part to help a man get a good lunch. Hey, you know, if I'm good at that. anything, it's eating. Conveniently, yeah. both of those restaurants uh, sponsor different FSU-related audio mediums. Just saying, if they want to sponsor us too. This man wants his bourbon. Just give him a bourbon. (laughs) How come no one's done it yet? (laughs) All right, cool. All right, good talk. One more, one more, one more more time. Yeah, I got it. Okay, all right. A defensive tackle, (laughs) Tywon Malone, um, baseball football star, put out a top five. Chris, did you catch who was in that top five? I believe Brian Doan is the person from the company who got up with him. I can't remember specifically if it was a top five, but I do know that Ohio State, Old Miss, Rutgers, AM, FSU were some of the ones mentioned. Let me bring it up real quick and I'll give it a look. Yeah, the- Tywon Malone is probably the most talented defensive tackle prospect on the board at the at the position, but he's never visited. He's out of the Baltimore area. Um Never visited, but obviously FSU has a major need. Um, he continues to list FSU among his top schools, yeah. but I just don't know if if you would you put FSU in that top two or three for him right now. Uh, it would be tough because he hasn't visited, but mm-hmm. he's a kid that wants to see a lot of places. It's an eight. It's actually eight, not five. It's USC, A and M, Texas A and M, 
Tennessee, Rutgers, Penn State, Ole Miss, Ohio State, and Florida State. On FSU, he said, it's just a great environment. I saw a lot of their games on TV the last couple of years. Mm. It's just a great atmosphere. I was planning on visiting before COVID hit, weren't we all? Hopefully, when things open up, I will get down there and see it for myself. The the interesting dynamic with Malone is baseball. I, you know, I've I've heard kind of mixed things when I'm on baseball. His video is fun because he can crank the shit out of a baseball, and I enjoy any guy who's a big body who just turns on one. Um, but like, obviously, football is probably the better ceiling for a kid. He's a pretty elite D tackle, so it's kind of one of those things where is he gonna truly do these both? And I think he would like to. I think it's tougher to judge that because of the lack of visits. You know, Old Miss is a program on there with a pretty consistent baseball program. Obviously, Florida State is one. Ohio State, Penn State, not so much. Texas A&M, another good baseball program. Rutgers, not so much. Tennessee, good program for baseball. USC, a lot of tradition baseball-wise, hasn't quite been on that same level in recent years. So if baseball is truly a dynamic factor in there, there's like four of those eight programs that it's definitely a better two sport combination than the other four. But if football is the main thing, then a place like Rutgers oddly comes into the conversation because his school has a lot of connections to Rutgers. I believe there's coaches at Rutgers who either came from his school or just have an insanely good relationship with his school. So they're oddly in that picture. Ohio state has a lot of ties to that area tends to do well with Jersey kids, kind of the same for Penn State. So suddenly those three schools, all of whom we don't talk about in the baseball conversation, kind of are elevated with them. So it's tough to judge exactly, you know, what percentage of his decision is going to be based on each sport in the combination of the two sports, or is this going to come down and be a football decision? Then I think proximity, those certain programs, especially with ties, kind of run away with it. And, you know, I think Ohio State's probably one in the pace car for that reason. I think a lot of people feel that way, but because of his desire to see schools and the the inability to do so, it's tough to exactly judge that. The good news, he doesn't plan to decide to the Under Armour All-American game. Things are currently shut down through September. They open for October, November into December. He can get, excuse me, he can get out and see those schools. So, his recruitment's one of those that I would just keep following. We know FSU and him have contact regularly. We know Odell likes him, so he's definitely on their board. But I think it's tough to forecast beyond maybe in Ohio State right now today where this might end up. All right, we All good? Right, very good. We good? We good? That good is it. Good talk, gentlemen. That's it. We covered it all. I don't. Good. I literally don't think there's anything else to talk about. So except for rate us five stars. Yep. We are. We, we do appreciate the five star rating and any review you want to, you want to leave us. Um, but thank you for listening and thank you for sticking with us for this off season. Football is getting closer. We're almost there. Don't jinx it. Gun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Sample, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.